what's up, everybody? It's good to see you today in the house of God on this Time Change Sunday. Come on, somebody. You are in the house on the Time Change Sunday. You guys are the real champions, I'm just telling you. Y'all know what's up. It's good to see you today. It's good to be back with you. I was uh, up in Denver last week preaching for a friend of mine at Echo City Church up in Westminster, Colorado. And uh, God moved in a mighty, mighty way. We saw a lot of people get saved last Sunday. It was amazing. Uh, to see God do that. And uh, I just want to honor Pastor Mark, brought an incredible word last week. It was so good. Let's just give it up. We're so glad to have him on our team. It's amazing. Uh, and if you missed that message, be sure and go online and check that out this week. You don't want to miss that one. It was so good, so on point. And uh, let me just say, I'm planning on uh, beginning a new message series next Sunday that uh, if things go as planned, will take us into Easter Sunday. You guys know it doesn't always go as planned, you know, Uh, but that's the plan. Today, I really felt led of the Lord to bring a message to you that's been heavy on my heart for some time. In fact, I almost preached this message back in January, Um, but uh, the truth is the Lord was not done downloading some things to me uh, regarding this message yet. There was some more revelation that he wanted me to see in his word and uh, and so um, I wasn't released to do it then, but I feel like he, uh, this is the Sunday for it. So I'm going to bring this message to you today. It's based on a parable that Jesus told in the book of Matthew chapter 25. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, we're going to read uh, some scripture from Matthew 25 in just a moment. But before we get into this message today, uh, let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts through his word. Um, I, I need the touch of the Holy Spirit today. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is kind of a, it's a heavy message. It's, a, it's a, a shortened day. Come on, somebody. We lost an hour. I need some strength today. You need some strength. Let's pray. We all stay awake. We all get what God wants for us today. Come on, let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, because your presence is in this room. We thank you, God, because where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them, Lord, and you are here, Father, and you're ready to speak to us through your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts, God, open the eyes of our heart to see what you want us to see, Lord, open up our understanding, God, to grasp this word that you have for us, Lord, but more importantly, God, open up our faith to receive what you have for us today. We give you thanks and praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I believe in my spirit that we are kind of living in a new era in the church today. And I know you guys are probably tired of talking about this. I'm kind of tired of talking about it. But the truth is, uh, since the the pandemic that happened a few years ago, uh, things are different now. There was a spiritual shift that happened in our country, and not just in our country, but really around the world. And things are different now. They just are. I believe things have gotten darker. And I, you know, probably don't have to tell you that. Anytime you turn on the news or whatever, you know, you see it. The world has gotten darker. It's a darker place than it was. In fact, I just preached a whole series about this called Truth and Lies, and I believe in the last few years, the lies have gotten louder and the truth has been suppressed and silenced. And listen, when lies take over, they always lead us to destructive places. That's why Jesus called the devil a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the world has gotten darker. That's the reality that we live in. Now, here's what that means for you and me as followers of Jesus Christ. As the world continues to get darker, I believe it's going to become more and more difficult to live as a Christian. Things in our world are shifting and changing fast, and unless something changes over the next decade or so, it's not going to get easier for us to live out our faith in Christ and live as the light of this world in this darkness. It's going to be harder to do that because the world is getting darker due to sin. And what we really need in this country and what we need in our world is, thankfully, what we're starting to see happen on college campuses. We need an awakening. Uh, we, need, we need revival. And listen, revival does not come through politics. Revival does not come through a change in governmental leadership. Revival comes through a transformation in human hearts. As people look to God and they cry out to him, the scripture says, he will hear from heaven, he will forgive our sin, and he will heal our land. And I believe we're starting to see that in our world right now. I believe we're a part of that at Life Chapel. God is not done with this generation. He's still answering prayer and he's still moving in his power in in this day. And as the darkness continues to get darker, 
I believe the greater the opportunity we're going to have to shine our light out in that darkness and really impact our world. But listen, don't equate greater opportunity with easier opportunity because it's not, that, that's not how it works. It's not going to get easier. In fact, the greatest moves of God in church history have always come in the times of the greatest persecution. And I believe easy Christianity is a thing of the past. There's a reason Jesus told us, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. In the days ahead, it's not going to be easy to call yourself a Christian. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's not, going to become, it's not going to become harder to come to Jesus by faith. That part's really easy. The Bible says all you have to do is put your faith in him. He's done all the heavy lifting. He's done all the hard work. All you've got to do is put your trust in him. There's nothing difficult about that. But it's not going to be easy to follow him and keep on following him when the world around you hates you because of him. And that's what Jesus said would happen. The era we're in now is creating, I think, a separation between what's real and what's counterfeit. It's a separation between what Jesus called the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the chaff. He told a lot of parables about this. And those whose faith in God is real and grounded in truth versus those who have been playing games with God and pretending. We're seeing that separation right now. In fact, over the last three years, some researchers have suggested that at least one-third of those professing to be Christ followers have left the faith in the last three years. Listen, I'm not talking about they left this church and went to that church, or they quit coming in person, but they still watch online and they're still engaged on some level. I'm talking about one-third of the church walked away from their faith. They, they left it. The pandemic signaled a spiritual shift in our world. In fact, the last three years, have revealed a lot of things to us. And I think one of the things that's revealed to us in the church is just how little depth we had in our spiritual walk. What we've learned over the last three years is that a lot of Christians had nothing more than a surface-level faith, and surface-level faith is not enough to sustain us for the long haul because surface-level faith is not enough to keep you grounded in the face of great adversity and uncertainty. And in recent years, we've seen professing Christians completely overwhelmed by fear, where the Bible says that you have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But over the last three years, we've seen Christians who love the Lord just completely overwhelmed by fear. We've seen Christians fall into a depth of apathy. I'm just, we're dealing with this in our church right now, apathy towards God. And I'm just going to be honest, I don't know how that's possible. He is the God of the heavens and the earth. He is the king of the universe. He, he has all power in his hands, and he's loved you with an everlasting love. How in the world do you become apathetic towards God if you love him and you know him and you're called according to his purpose? We've seen Christians in the last three years completely overcome by mental anguish and inner turmoil in their souls. And I'm not throwing stones at anybody today. If you're dealing with some of that stuff, listen, there's hope for you. There's healing for you. There's freedom for you. If you came in carrying that stuff, you don't have to leave that way. God is here. He wants to meet you right where you are. And he wants to do a work in your heart. We all go through things from time to time. But over the last three years, we have seen it happen over and over and over again. And we've seen it just push people out of Church, I came across an interesting scripture the other day found in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5, that I wanted to share with you. It's an interesting uh, passage of scripture. It says, if you have run with the footmen or the foot soldiers and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? This is what the scripture is saying. Listen, things are not going to get easier from here. They're going to get harder. They're going to get darker. And if you've been wearied by the last three years to the point of losing your faith and giving up on God and walking away from him, then how in the world are you going to survive the darkness that is still yet to come? We've got to go deeper in our faith. We've got to get stronger. The Bible says in Hebrews, strengthen your feeble arms. Make your legs ready for what God is doing in your life. That's the only way. We've got to get stronger. And my heart in this message today, and I hope you get this, it, 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 I promise you I'm not, I, I'm not like coming at you, I'm not attacking you or anything like that. You know what I mean? Y'all know that? We good? Okay. 
But my heart in this is just a, it's just a, it's just a plea from your pastor. Somebody who loves you, someone who wants you to be successful, someone who wants you to thrive in your spiritual walk. This is my heart for you today. I want you to make it to the end. I don't want you to fall away. I want you to finish your race well, but I can't run for you. You got to go deeper in your spiritual walk. You got to get stronger in your spiritual growth. Your relationship with God is your responsibility. We all have to take responsibility for it. No one can do that for you. And that's precisely what this parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25 that we're going to look at today is all about. Jesus in this parable actually talks about a time that is coming in the future. That we as followers of his and disciples of his are going to need to be prepared for. In Matthew chapter 24 one chapter before, Jesus just, he talks, he tells us all about the end times. That is a fascinating chapter to read. I would encourage you to read that maybe later today or tomorrow. Just take a look at Matthew 24. It's fascinating because a lot of what Jesus described and said, like, these are the birth pangs. These are the, these are the signals that the end is near. We're seeing that in our world right now. It's amazing to read that. But then in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus kind of adds on to what he said in Matthew chapter 24 by telling us three separate parables that help us understand our posture as the church as we get nearer and nearer to the end times that he talked about in Matthew chapter 24. So what it's supposed to look like for us. And that's uh, where uh, we are going to start today in Matthew chapter 25 verse 1. Look at it together. This first parable Jesus told. He said, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. Now, let's pause right there for just a minute, because Jesus has already said a lot in just these first two verses that I want to make sure you're tracking on, and I want to make sure you understand. This parable that he's telling us, this is a prophetic picture of the church. He is painting a picture of us, where we are, where things are, just before he comes back. In verse 1, he says, at that time, what time is he talking about? He's talking about the end times that he just downloaded to us in Matthew chapter 24. He says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be light. The kingdom of heaven are the followers of Jesus, the citizens of the kingdom, the church, if you will. This is what it's going to be like. And he describes it this way. It's going to be like 10 virgins. So you got to understand your place in the parable, your place in the story. We are a part of the 10 virgins in this story. And Jesus is the bridegroom coming back to get us. Now, listen, you have to know this. Jesus is coming back one day. He is. He's coming back for us. He did not leave us and go to heaven and forget about us down here. He left us, according to John chapter 14, verse 3, to prepare a place for us so that he could come back and get us. Look at it with me in, in John 14, 3. I love this. It says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Jesus is coming back, and the reason he's coming back to the earth, he's got no other reason to come back here except for we, the redeemed, have a promise from him that he's not leaving us down here to fend for ourselves. He's taking us home with him. And listen, no man knows the time of the hour, but we're closer to that day today than we were yesterday. And we'll be closer to that day tomorrow than we are today. Nobody knows when he's coming back. But what we do know is that we have been told by Jesus to be prepared, be ready, and be watching so that we don't miss him when he comes. Now check this out. The, this picture that Jesus is creating here in Matthew 25 it might seem kind of weird to you and me on the surface of things. You know, he's painting this picture of virgins holding lamps and a bridegroom, and all of that might seem kind of weird. But what he's describing in this parable was actually a very normal part of Jewish culture. So the people that he's talking to and he's telling this parable to, originally, they understood it immediately. They understood what he was saying because they understood the picture he was painting. I think for us to fully understand what he's saying, it takes a little bit of digging. It takes a little bit of explanation. See, when a Jewish man decided on a girl to marry, he would ask for her hand in marriage and they would be engaged. There's nothing weird about that. We still do that today. And with that engagement, they would make a covenant together. He would make a covenant to her that he was going to wait on her until the wedding date. She would make the same covenant back to him. They were going to wait on one another. They were going to honor their covenant to one another until the wedding day came. Now, the setting of the date of their wedding is very different from our culture today. Because the wedding date was not dependent on the right time of year to get married. Come on, ladies. Y'all know you've got this dream in your head, whatever. 
It wasn't dependent on how long it takes to create the dream wedding scenario, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't dependent on, like, when the dress that you want becomes available and all that kind of stuff that we, that we do today. The wedding date, watch this, was totally determined by how long it took the groom to prepare a place for her to live. See, he would ask for her hand, and once her father gave his permission for them to, to be married, the groom would immediately go to work building a house for his bride. How many wish it was still like that today? Not me. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm not, I don't have the gift of craftsmanship. Everybody knows this. I'd have to hire somebody to do that. But the wedding day, it's so amazing to me. The wedding day happened the moment that the house was ready for her to move into it. So if you were engaged, you didn't know what day the wedding was going to take place. You just knew you had to wait faithfully and be ready and prepared for when it did happen. And in Jewish culture, when the house was ready, this is what would happen. The groom would gather his groomsmen together, and they would joyfully march in a procession to the home of the bride's father and mother, and the, the groom would kind of stay back, and the groomsmen would go up to the house, and they would announce with a loud voice that the house was ready for the wedding they would tell the, the family, they would tell the friends, the house, the, the house is ready, it's time for the wedding. Then there would be a small window of time for the bride to get her family and her bridesmaids together, and they would join the groomsmen, and then together they would walk in procession back to where the groom was, and together they would walk all the way back to the house that the groom prepared for her, uh, and, and that's where the wedding would take place, and there would be a marriage banquet that would take place that night, and then they would kick everybody out of the house, because then you know the real wedding's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? And so you got to understand this picture. This is why Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 17 talked about the rapture as a meeting in the air. It is the bride and her wedding party coming from the earth to meet the groom and his, oh, hallelujah, the groom and his wedding party coming down from heaven. There's going to be a meeting in the air and then in joyful processional, we're going up to the house that he's prepared for us to live in for eternity. Amen. It's why in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, the Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb going up in heaven. What's it talking about? It's all pointing, all of this is pointing to what's going to happen when Christ returns. It is going to be the bride reunited with the groom, and there's going to be a wedding celebration. He went away to prepare a place for us, but he's coming back again. And when he does come back, we are going to party in heaven like it's 1999 on steroids. Come on. It's a party that's, 1999 was a good year. Y'all know it was a good, it's, we're going to party. We're going to party for eternity. It's never going to end. Your life on this earth is just a little blip in the grand scheme of things. You've got a whole eternity that you're going to live with Christ, your King. It's eternity that's waiting on you. And so in this parable, Jesus is the groom and we are the virgins and that word virgins, if that's bothering you, it can also be translated bridesmaids, just so you know. But in the parable, we're holding lamps. We're shining our light in our dark world, waiting for his return so the wedding can happen. And Jesus said, in, Jesus said that five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Now look at verse 3 with me. This is what differentiates the wise virgins from the foolish ones. Look at this. He says the foolish ones took their lamps but they didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Now watch this. Look at verse 5. It says, The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. That, that I'm speaking to a lot of people today, uh, probably watching me online. You're feeling that drowsy spirit. You need to push that out right now. But you got to understand, this parable is a prophetic picture of what the church is going to look like in the end times. And so understand it, five members of the church were wise because they had a lamp in their hand, but not only that, they had oil for their lamps that kept them burning. But five in the church in the end times were foolish, not because they didn't have a lamp in their hands. It's not that they didn't know who the light of the world is. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus is the light of the world. They know about the light. They're holding the lamp. The problem is not with the light. The problem is they don't have the oil necessary to keep that light lit until the end. The oil is the thing that separates the wise Christians from the foolish ones. 
Now, you also need to know, this is so important to the story, you need to know that oil in the Bible is always a symbol of the Holy Spirit in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We actually see this all over the place, and I wish I had more time to, to dig into this and, 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 and show you this, but I, let, me, let me just show you a few things about the oil in Scripture because I think it's so powerful to see how the entire Word of God, written over centuries of time, all works together to achieve the same goal, which is reveal Christ Jesus. But in Exodus chapter 27, verse 20, we read about the Israelites who are out in the desert They're walking away from their past in Egypt and walking into their future in the promised land. And in Exodus 27, 20, this is what God told Moses to say to them. He said to them, command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning. In the tent of meeting, outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant Law, Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening till morning. Watch this. This is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites for the generations to come. God told the Israelites way back in the middle of the desert that they had an obligation, and their obligation was to make sure they stayed stocked up on oil. Why? So that the lamps in the house of God would never go out. The lamps in the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the place that they met with God. It's the place where they worshiped God. It was their church, essentially. He wants to make sure the light in the church never goes out. And he mentions Aaron and his sons by name in verse 21. Aaron and his sons are mentioned by name because they're the priests over the house of God. And as priests, it was their job to minister to God on behalf of the people and also minister to the people on behalf of God. They, the priests were the conduit of ministry that connected heaven to the earth. And they were called out by name and specifically instructed to make sure that they always carried enough oil necessary to keep the light burning in the church at all times. And I want you to see this. All of this, everything that you read in the tabernacle and later in the temple, it all pours points towards Jesus, who is the light of the world. That's why the light can never go out, because the light of the world is coming. And when he comes, everybody will see and everybody will know that there's one light. He is the light of all mankind, the Bible says. He is our living tabernacle. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. We don't have to go to a tent called a tabernacle anymore to meet with God. We've got a living tabernacle on the inside of us. Jesus is our high priest, and we can meet with God anytime we want, because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you've received him, you can get access to God the Father. Amen. It all points to Jesus. But check this out. Under the old covenant in the Old Testament, the priests were the only ones responsible to keep that light in the tabernacle burning and to make sure ministry was happening to God and also to the people. But under the new covenant, through the work of Jesus, through his blood on the cross, We've, we've all become priests commissioned by God, watch this, to keep the light shining and to do the work of ministry in the house of the Lord. Every single one of us have. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, this is what the Bible says. But you are a chosen people. You, the New Testament church, you and I right now, you are a chosen people. Watch this, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him, that you may declare ministry to the hurting, so that you may declare there's there's healing for the broken. You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into what? Into his wonderful light. So we all have this obligation to carry the oil of the spirit that keeps the light on in the church. We are the church. The church is not something we go to. We are the church. We exist for the world. We exist so they can see the light of Jesus Christ. And in Leviticus chapter 8, we're not going to read it, but we read how oil in Leviticus chapter 8 was used for anointing the priests. Aaron and his sons, Moses pulled them out and he anointed them with olive oil. And that anointing, it consecrated them. What that means is that it separated them from the rest of the tribes of Israel. separated them from the rest of the world unto ministry in the house of the Lord. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 13, we read, that the prophet Samuel comes to the house of Jesse looking for the next king of Israel. And when he sees David among all his brothers, he knows that's the one that God has chosen to be the king. Now look at what the scripture says happens next. In verse 13, Samuel, it says, he took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. 
And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The oil that David was anointed with represents the Holy Spirit. And once that oil touched his head, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him and it allowed him to do the things that God called him to do, including killing the giant Goliath. That happened in the very next chapter. Also becoming the king of Israel. David could not have done that without the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his life, without the oil that God put on his head. And then in Luke chapter 4, Jesus We read about how he stands before the congregation in the synagogue of his hometown of Nazareth. And he opened the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he read these words in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because he has anointed me. He has touched me with the oil. He's anointed me. Did you know that the word Christ means anointed one? He's Jesus, the anointed one. The oil is a symbol of the person, ministry, and work of the Holy Spirit. And then we read in Acts chapter 10, verse 8, that it was God who anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Bible says, with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Every good thing Jesus did while he was on the earth was because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was on his life. And so when Jesus talks about how five wise virgins had a jar full of oil. He's talking about how they were full of the Holy Spirit while the five foolish ones were not. The five foolish ones were missing the oil. They were not missing the lamp. They were missing the oil required to make the lamp work, make the lamp burn. Verse 5 said that the bridegroom took longer than expected to return for them. They got drowsy and fell asleep. Now look at verse 6. It says at midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. At midnight, the darkest hour of the night. That's when the bridegroom shows back up. Great timing. And then verse 7, it says, Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones at this point, realizing they don't have enough oil to keep this thing going, they said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Now, again, the foolish virgins had a lamp. The lamp was not the problem. The lamp was working just fine. The problem was the lack of oil. Some of you have turned away from God and you've abandoned your faith. The lamp is not the problem. The oil is the problem. If you would get filled up with the things of God, it would keep your light burning. The church is not the problem. Your heart is the problem. What God is doing on the earth is not the problem. Your involvement and participation in it is where the problem is. If you want to be a part of what God is doing, get full of oil, participate, come into connection with him and be a part of what God is doing. The problem is not what God is doing on the earth. He never forsake, he's never forsaken you. He's never abandoned you and he never will. The problem is with the oil. They had a lack of oil. So look at verse nine. The wise ones, they said, no, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. In other words, what they're saying is you're responsible for your own supply of oil. We cannot give you the oil from our lamps. It doesn't work that way. Our oil won't work in your lamps. You've got to get your own oil for yourself. Look at verse 10. But while they were on the journey to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Listen, there's going to be a a window of time when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. And when he does, he's going to be looking for a bride who is ready to meet him. He's going to be looking for a bride who's got plenty of oil. Now, look how the story ends in verse 11 through 13. It says, later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Then he told his disciples, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Let me give you four quick observations from this story. Number one, we have a long journey ahead. We have a long journey ahead. According to Jesus, did you catch it in verse 5? He said the bridegroom was a long time in coming. Listen, that just means that he's building a really great house for you. That's what that means. The longer he takes, the better it is going to be for you. It's going to be amazing. But seriously, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. We don't know how long it's going to take for him to come back. And it would be foolish for you to not be prepared for him. The foolish virgins in the story were not ready because they were not prepared for the wait. 
We have to prepare for a long journey because we don't know when he's coming back. This is what we do know. While we wait for his return, according to the scripture, the world is going to continue to get darker and darker and darker. That leads me to the second observation. As the world continues to get darker, we're going to need more oil. We're going to need more oil. We're going to need more and more of the Holy Spirit. The longer we wait, the more oil we're going to need. Not less oil, more oil. Did you know there's a whole segment of, of, of people in Christianity that wants you to believe that you don't need the Holy Spirit anymore? That he came and did his thing and then he left and now you don't need him? No, no, we don't need less of the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit. The longer we wait, the more we need of him. And if the last time you got filled up with the Holy Spirit was years ago, listen, you're probably going on empty right now. It's time to get filled up again. You need more oil the longer you wait, not less. And Jesus makes this distinction in the parable. At the time of the end, there's going to be wise and foolish people. And what's interesting to me is that he doesn't make this distinction between wise and foolish based on something that that I would think of. According to Jesus, the wise and foolish has nothing to do with strategy. It has nothing to do with their level of productivity. It has nothing to do with whether or not, you know, they've got knowledge. It doesn't even have anything to do with their beliefs. It was all about the oil. That's what separated the wise from the foolish. Do you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? What made them wise or foolish was whether or not they were carriers of the presence and power of God on the earth that causes the light of Christ to shine continually even under the darkest circumstances. We need the oil of the Holy Spirit to make it to the end. Here's the third observation. Nobody else can bring your oil for you. Nobody else can bring oil for you. I want you to understand, as your pastor, I cannot bring oil for you. The faith of your parents and your grandparents cannot bring oil for you. Your spouse cannot bring oil for you. Your children, that strong Christian friend you've got, and you love that they pray for you. They can pray for you, but they can't bring oil for you. It is your responsibility to carry your oil. The five without oil asked the ones with oil to give them some, and they were like, nope, that's not how this works. Everybody's got to bring their own oil. And as the world continues to get darker, the more we've got to know how to live in the power of the Holy Spirit because no one can bring it for you. The oil is yours to carry. Here's the fourth observation from the story. Jesus makes it clear there are going to be many whose lamps go out in the end. And listen, that, that may mess with your theological position a little bit, and I get that. You know what the Bible says? Uh, you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, work that out with the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you what Jesus told us in this parable. There's going to be people, watch this, who think they're good, but they're not. They've got a lamp in their hand. They're where they're supposed to be. They're waiting. They know he's coming, but they're not ready. Why? Because they didn't have enough oil to keep their lamp burning. There are going to be many whose lamps go out in the end because they don't have enough oil. They don't have the oil necessary to make it. Now, remember, this parable is a picture of the church. And when I think about this, honestly, my heart is broken over what's going on in our world right now because as a pastor, I see this. I see people who at one time, they had a genuine experience of faith in God. I saw it happen. We, we saw them come to faith in God. We saw them choose to make Jesus their Lord and Savior. They gave their life to him, and God knows their heart. I don't know if it was real or fake. To me, it looked real. It looked like a real experience. I saw it happen, but now they've fallen away from God. They're not in church anymore. They're not living for the Lord anymore. And the truth is they probably think they're ready, but according to Jesus, they're not ready. Should he return today, they wouldn't make it because they've got no light burning in their lamp because they don't have any oil. I've seen others who at one time were burning red hot for God. Their lights were were lit up and they were burning brightly and they were full of the Holy Spirit and they were walking in their calling and they were making an impact. They were making a difference in the world for others, but they exchanged that fire and passion that they used to have for some other agenda. They laid down their oil and watch this. Now they're trying to make their lamps burn on something else and it won't work. They don't realize that their light is dying. They don't realize it. They don't realize that their oil is quickly running out. And as your pastor, 
I'm passionate about helping you be ready. I'm, I'm passionate about helping you be ready for when he comes back. Paul was too, actually. This is what he wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. He said, he, speaking of Jesus, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Watch this. So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. What's he saying? Paul's saying, I'm going to lead the processional baby. Like, this is my church, and these are, we're all together in this, and I'm going to present the church to the groom when he comes. And as a pastor, I, I want to be able to present a bride to the Lord. Look at verse 29. Paul, Paul just says what I feel in my, in my soul. He says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. What's he saying? He's saying that the Holy Spirit in me pushes me to do everything I can to make sure the church is ready for this day, to make sure they become mature, to make sure they grow in their faith, to make sure they are wise and not foolish, to make sure they stay full of the Holy Spirit. That's why I believe God gave me this message. I'm trying to help you see how important this is because we are living in very interesting times right now. But that's all I can do. I cannot bring your oil for you. You have to bring your own oil. You have to keep your lamp burning. You are responsible for your spiritual growth and your spiritual health. No one else can do that for you. So how do you stay full of oil? What's the key to keeping your light burning continuously? Let me give you two quick thoughts on that before we go. Number one, we got to stay in the word of God. And number two, we got to stay full of the Holy Spirit. It's, the, it's staying in the Word of God and staying full of the Holy Spirit. It was amazing to me as I studied this out. I understood why God made me wait on this one because of where he took me over the last few weeks. He took me to the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter 4, where Zechariah sees a vision and has an encounter with an angel. And what he sees and describes in this vision is eerily similar to the parable Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25 in the New Testament. I want you to look at this with me, Zechariah 4.1. It says, Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up, like someone awakened from sleep. You can see the connection to the parable already. He's returned, and he's woken him up when he returned. Verse 2, he asked me, What do you see? Zechariah says, I see a solid gold lampstand, with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. And again, we see more connection to the parable with this lamp. He saw one lampstand with seven lights on this one lampstand burning on it. And he also saw seven channels, or the, the Hebrew word there for channels is also pipes. So it's, it's pipes that are connected to the lamps that are feeding them the fuel that they need to burn. Now, you need to know that this vision that Zechariah had is also a prophetic picture of the church, just like Jesus' parable was. How do I know that? Well, in the book of Revelation, in the first three chapters, we read about seven churches, all of whom have a lampstand assigned to them. So this is a picture of the church. In the end, the seven lamps Zechariah saw represent the church. He goes on describing his vision in verse 3. Watch this. He says, also what I see, I see there are two olive trees by the lampstand, one on the right of the bowl, and the other is on its left. Now, just, just walk with me for a second. He saw olive trees. What do olive trees produce? They produce oil from olives. Once you press those olives, you get oil. You get the oil needed to keep that lamp burning. He goes on in verse 4. He says, I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? He answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. Verse 6. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Now, if you read the whole book of Zechariah, you understand who Zerubbabel was. And this, this was not just a picture of a, of a future church. This is also a prophetic picture for what was going on in Israel right then and there. And this was a word that God was giving to Zechariah to deliver to Zerubbabel, who was in charge of rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. Okay. But, but, but there's more to it than just this word to Zerubbabel. And, and I think it's interesting because he asked like, what are these olive trees about? And it looks like the angel ignores him and just starts talking about, this is the word of the Lord to somebody else. But in actuality, the angel is answering him. What are these olive trees? Two things the angel says in verse six. Number one, he says, this is the word of the Lord. And number two, he says, it is by my spirit, says the Lord. 
And if you read the, if you read more into the book of Zechariah, you see where he starts talking about a flying scroll. What's he talking about? He's talking about the word of God. He talks more about the spirit of God. We see it all through the book. The two olive trees that stand on each side of the lampstand, they're responsible to keep those lamps burning. And those two olive trees represent the word of God and the spirit of God, the two things that we need to stay full of oil. Let me talk about the Word of God for just a minute. You know, I, I cannot bring your oil for you, but the Word of God can produce oil in your life. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, Paul is talking to Timothy. He says, from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, watch this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. What did, what did Jesus say about the five virgins who were full of oil in Matthew chapter 25? He said they were wise. How are you wise? You're full of the Holy Scriptures. They make you wise for salvation. Look at verse 16. God goes on and tells us all Scriptures God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Then you can jump over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, where again, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and he's going to paint a picture of the end here, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing, what's he talking about? His return. In view of his appearing and his kingdom. It's the same as the parable. In view of his appearing and the state of the church when he comes back, the prophetic picture Jesus was setting up in the parable, this is what he says. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be pro- I'm going to tell you, the church has gotten in trouble in the last few years because we haven't been preaching the word of God. We've been preaching doctrine that is not sound. We've been preaching anecdotal stories. I don't even know if that's a word. We've been, we've been saying what itching ears want to hear. We've been trying to fluff everything up. We've been try- just trying to keep everybody happy, and we have not been preaching the full gospel, the full word of God, and that's why we've got Christians who are surface level and falling away in droves. It's because they don't have the word of God in their hearts. That make us prepared for salvation. Preach the word. Why? Because the word fills you with oil so that you'll be prepared in season and out of season. You'll be prepared in the season that he's not come yet, but you'll also be prepared when he does come. It's the word of God. I can't bring your oil for you, but every Sunday when you come to church and you open your ears and you open your hearts to the preaching of the Word of God, you are getting a fresh infilling of the oil that keeps your light burning. I'm telling you, what we do on Sundays matters. It matters more than you think it does. It matters, absolutely. Average church attendance in America today, among people who consider themselves to be faithful church attenders, the average is now once a month. That's considered the norm. Listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. Once a month is not enough to keep you full of oil, especially if the only word of God you're ever getting is what you hear on Sundays. It's just not enough. You're not getting enough oil. Just imagine how much oil you would have if you made it a priority to be in God's house every week. Now imagine how much oil you would have if you joined a life group and started to do a Bible study with other people. Now imagine how much oil you would have if you took time to read the scriptures every single day on your own. You would be overflowing with oil. That's God's plan for you. That's his desire for you. As the world gets darker, it's not time to withdraw and fall away. Hebrews warns us against that in Hebrews chapter 10. It's not time as the world gets darker to grow apathetic and fall asleep. What happens when things get dark? You get sleepy. You want to go to sleep. A lot of people fell asleep in those last three years during the pandemic. A lot of people still are. It's not time to get drowsy and fall asleep. It's time to lean in and get more of God in you because the word of God is oil for your life and it keeps you burning for God. David said this in Psalms 119, 105. He said, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. That's what the Word of God is. You can stay full of oil by staying full of the Word of God. And number two, we stay full of oil by staying full of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. I want the band to come up and just begin to play softly, but I want to show you this because it's so powerful to me. The angel told Zechariah in this vision, he said, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. Listen to me, everybody, listen. It's up to you to bring your own oil, but it's not up to you to produce it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's the Holy Spirit that produces oil. 
The oil that keeps you on fire is produced by the Spirit of God within you. In Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist is telling the people about Jesus who's just starting to come on the scene. And this is what he says about him. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Watch this. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire, the thing that keeps your lamp going. It's the thing that your lamp puts out. It's the fire of God. And if you want to stay full of oil, if you want to keep the fire of your lamp burning brightly for God, you need to experience what John the Baptist was talking about. You need to experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Another word for baptism is to be filled We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that infilling needs to happen over and over and over and over again in our lives. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event. It is an everyday reality for you in Christ Jesus if you want it to be. You can have as much of the Spirit of God as you want. The Lord took me to another passage of Scripture that connects to this parable. This one's in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 5. Look at this with me. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14. Scripture says, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Again, you see the connection to the parable there. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live. Watch this. Not as unwise, but as wise. Remember, five were foolish, five were wise. Paul's telling us. He says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. What does that mean? The days are evil. That just means that the days are getting darker and darker. The longer we stay here, the more evil they're going to get. The more dark things are going to get. The longer we wait for Christ. And as the darkness creeps in, listen, the darkness is going to try and steal your oil. So you need to take every opportunity you have to get filled up again and again and again on the oil. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. That word in the Greek for debauchery means reckless indiscretion. That seems really appropriate to me, considering the foolish virgins were missing out on the return of the Lord. That is reckless indiscretion. If you know he's coming and you're not ready, that's crazy to me. Don't be drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, you need to know in the Greek... That infilling of the Spirit that Paul's talking about, it's not a one-time thing. According to Paul here, in the way that he wrote this out, he's talking about being filled up and filled up and filled up and filled up again and again and again and again. He's talking about a daily reality of being filled with the Holy Spirit. What he wants you to know is when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit, you need to keep coming back for more. He draws the distinction. It's like a drunk who keeps going every day to his favorite watering hole. He said, don't be that guy. Be the guy who every day gets into the glory of God, gets into the Word of God, and again and again and again experiences an infilling, another rush of the Holy Spirit. Keep getting filled up with the Holy Spirit. Keep that oil in your jar. Why? Because it's going to keep you ready until that day when Jesus comes back. And that's what it's all about, church. That's what it's all about. It's about us finishing our race well. The Bible says that the the end of a thing is better than the beginning of a thing. How you end is crucial. I want you to stand with me all across the room. We're going to close in just a moment. There are two things we need to keep our lamps burning for Jesus. It's the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We need both. And you'll talk to some Christians that that just focus on one or the other. Listen, the Word of God without the Spirit of God gives you knowledge without power. The Spirit of God without the Word of God gives you zeal without wisdom. We need both to make it until Jesus comes. And what I've done today, what I've tried to do faithfully is I've tried to give you the Word of God. I believe that you're filled up on the oil of the Word of God today. But what I believe God wants us to do as we close out today is I believe He wants us to give you an opportunity to get filled up with the Spirit of God too. I believe He wants to pour the oil of the Spirit out on you. I believe that many in the church today are holding on by a thread. And again, I know there's different theological views on this. I'm tracking on all of that. You won't tell me anything that I haven't studied extensively and, I, and had conversations. I, 
I know, I know, and I'm a grace guy. I want you to know that there's, there is a wideness to God's mercy. He, he gives us grace that we don't deserve. And I, I just, I love the grace of God, but I, I, I read what the Bible says. And I think that we've tried to make it so easy for people that we haven't told them the truth. That you gotta, you gotta stay full of oil if you're gonna make it to the end. And if you're here today and you've been holding on by a thread and you feel like this weight and this pull in your spiritual walk and maybe it's a day-to-day thing and it's been tough lately, maybe it's because you've been trying to live for him on your own power. Remember what God said to Zechariah, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. You cannot live successfully for Jesus in your own strength and power. You cannot produce oil for yourself. You need the Holy Spirit to do that for you. Jesus called the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. He called him our helper. He said in Acts chapter 1 that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And it's not just keeping power. It's also power to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Some of you, you don't need another sermon. You don't need more knowledge. You need another infilling of the Holy Spirit. You need another outpouring of the oil from heaven Again, you've been living your life on empty. It's time for you to start living the life Jesus talked about in John 10, 10. He called it life to the full. That is the spirit-filled life. It is a life full of the spirit. And if you're here today and you would say, I want that. I, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've never really experienced that. And I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or you would say, I'm here and I've experienced that before. But it's been a while, it's been a long time since I've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And I need to be filled again. I know I do. My, my jar is running on empty. I need to be filled again. If you're here today, you would say, I, I want that. I've never had it. I want it. You would say, I had it. But it's been a while and I want to have it again. I want to invite you just to get out of your seat and just come down to this front altar area. I just want to agree with you in prayer today. We're going to pray together. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to pour himself out on us today. And he's going to fill us again with his power today. One other, one other verse before the band leads us. Jesus said, he said, if a father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more will your father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit if you'll ask him for it? That's all you have to do. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, all you've got to do is ask him for it. And we receive him by faith. As the band leads us, come on, come to the front. We're going to pray together. Come on, lead us, Mark. Let's worship the Lord together.